Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at a verse of Scripture that I'm pretty sure most of us have heard of. And it's probably not your typical Eastery kind of message in that way, but we'll get to that. One of the things I want to say is that if you don't go to church anywhere, and this is your first time here, this is pretty much what you're going to get. If you like it, this is what it's like. We We didn't do anything real special today on purpose. We wanted you to see and to be a part of our church and our church family. So, how many of you have ever done anything you're ashamed of? Anybody ever done anything you're ashamed of? I got way more things than I can tell you today, so I won't tell you any of them that I'm ashamed of. I won't start like that. But, you know, the fact is there's a lot of things in my life that I'm ashamed of. And I'm pretty sure in the Apostle Paul's life there was a lot of things that he was ashamed of. I mean, we know for certain that he was holding the garments, the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. And I just got to believe that for the rest of his life, that was a place that Satan used to kind of point him and say, yeah, but you were there. And there was some shame that was involved in that. And he, was, he, he struggled with that. I'm thankful today uh, for the fact that we don't have to live in shame in our lives. Um, I, I follow people on Facebook Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, whatever else is out there. How many of you like social media? Anybody here? Come on, tell the truth. How many of you like social media? You know, I know that's not true. There's a lot of you here who like social media because you're on my Facebook all the time. So raise your hand. How many of you like social media? You know, I like social media. I'm not one of those people who's going to sit there and say, oh, it's all bad. There's some bad things about social media. Get me? I understand that. But it's got a lot of good things too. But one of the things that people do on there is they paint their life as though it is perfect. You ever notice that? I mean, if everybody's life was as good as it is on social media, we wouldn't need church. I mean, it would just be it would just be amazing, you know. But it's not like that. And Paul is writing this because his life is not that perfect life like you see people talk about on social media. He's writing about his relationship with Jesus when he writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Make sure that's all the way up. Is it on? Am I working? Everybody can hear me? Okay. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul was living life, not for his image, or so people would think he had his act together. He was living for Jesus, and he wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. To, do, to tell you the truth, uh, these days, a lot of, a lot of uh, people seem to be ashamed of the gospel. There's a lot of shame in the gospel these days. A lot of people say, well, you know, I, I'm a believer, but I'm not like that. You know? And I guess maybe I should say there's a lot of shame in the church and people are going, well, I'm really not a part of that. And, and I think that's a shame. I don't think they really are understanding what it's all about. Um, but I think the ones who tell you that they don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
they really don't understand. They don't have a knowledge by experience. They haven't experienced the fullness of His Holy Spirit. They haven't allowed God to really come into their lives. So today I want to tell you why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want to just give you five reasons why I'm thankful for the gospel. And the first thing I want you to know is that until you've come face to face with a risen living, living Savior, Jesus Christ, until you have entered into that relationship with Him, until you have met Him face to face and understand why we're celebrating, you will never get this. You will never get this. I was thankful today. Someone said, this is the greatest day ever. It's the day Jesus was raised from the dead. And, it, and she was right when she said that. It is the greatest day ever. And we should reflect that in our lives. So I want to give you the top five reasons that I'm pumped up about Christianity and Christ. And I'm going to make this fairly brief. I'm not going to uh, stay on anything very long. I'm going to be moving along. And uh, some people say I talk too fast. Uh, some people say you don't talk fast enough because we could get done earlier if you just speed it up. So, you know, try to follow along with me. If I'm talking too fast, you know, wave your hands at me. And if I'm talking too slow, just endure. Okay. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 34, we read Jesus teaching on love, and he said this. Well, let me back up and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's in the gospel that I learned to love and to be loved, okay? I learned to love and be loved, and you go, well, that's whatever. You know, today's world uh, in America, love doesn't mean what it should, okay? But what I'm getting at here is a lot more than feelings, okay? I'm getting at at actions and how we're going to live our lives. I learned to love and be loved in the gospel. Luke chapter 6, 27 through 34, it says this, I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And you know, right now, a lot of you are going, oh boy, that click, 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 turning them off. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other. Also, if someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But what about those who don't love you? That's the point. What about those who treat you wrong? What about those who take advantage of you? Have you ever had someone in your life that you totally disagreed with, or somebody who just rubbed you the wrong way. Or maybe there's someone who's done some things to hurt your feelings, that hurt you bad. Maybe they took things that didn't belong to them. They, they took something of yours. Have you ever been with someone like that? Or maybe you're in competition with someone for a job, or, or a promotion, or a girlfriend, or, or, or something. I met this person recently. She's so sweet and nice, but, but man, I tell you, as I talk to her, she is like anti-everything I'm about almost. It's like the weirdest thing. It's like I'm for this and she's for this. And I'm for this and she's for this. But she's the nicest person I think I've ever met. She's like so sweet. And I really struggle with a lot of her positions. She's running for political office and I'm pretty sure that I could never vote for her. But she's a fellow human being and God has given us the ability, both her and I, I think, because she's a Christian also, to look and to love her as a person. I look at her and I go, man, what an awesome person she is. And I can see her and I can love her as a sister in Christ. And the result is, is that we're becoming good friends in spite of the fact that we both disagree on just about everything else but Jesus. I can only love her like that because Christ has loved me. Because in reality right now, if I, if I met her and I didn't have Jesus in my heart, I would say bad things about her. I would say she's this and she's that and I would 
disregard her as a human being because of what I believe. Christ has loved me. He died for me when He did not agree with me on anything. You realize that? That sinners and Jesus have nothing in common. (laughs) And Jesus still went to the cross for you. In spite of what you've done, in spite of who you are, in spite of what you're about, Jesus went to the cross for you. He saw you as a child of God. He loved you. He died for you. And when I confessed and repented of my sin, He came to live inside of me. And now He empowers me to look beyond the person's beliefs and thoughts and skin color and political affairs. And He has loved me and has forgiven me of sin and made me His own. So now I can love and I can be loved like He is loved to others. I thank God for that. It has changed my life. It has changed my life. I can't begin to tell you how different my life is because Christ loved me. So I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to help me to love as I have been loved. Praise the Lord for that. Secondly, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it has given me an identity. Romans 8, 13, 15 says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I rode the metro train one day from Crystal Lake, Illinois, where I was living and pastoring, up north of Chicago, down into downtown Chicago to go see a friend in the hospital. I got to Chicago in the train station, and it's a big city, and it's a big train station, and there were literally tens of thousands of people milling about in that station on their way to different places to get on trains to go different places in uh, in the state. I entered into that huge crowd of people, and I I stood there, and I felt like I had no identity. Maybe you can identify with this. Maybe you can relate to this. I felt I had no identity. I felt like I was just a nameless face in a sea of faces. Lots and lots of people all around, and it was maybe one of the loneliest moments of my life. One day when I was about 16 years old, I went to an auction in a place called Mechanicsburg, Indiana. They were selling a bunch of antique cars that day. This guy had collected cars over the years, and he was retiring and leaving, and he was leaving Indiana, and he was going to get rid of his collection. He had a 1926 Touring car, 26 Chevrolet touring car sitting there. And my dad wanted that car, but my dad had to work that Saturday. As I said, I was 16. So he said, Mark, I want you to do me a favor. He said, here's my checkbook. Go to the auction. I want you to bid on the car. Here's how much you can bid. Go, go past this number. This is it right here. I don't want you to go any further, but bid on the car. And so I, I did that. I went to the auction and I got up there. And I, when they got ready to sell that car, I pushed my way to the front. And I was already about $2,000 into it. I started bidding. And the auctioneer stopped the auction. And he looks at me and he goes, young man, do you have the money to back up that bid? And I said, my dad is John Dill. My dad knew this guy really well. I said, my dad is John Dill. He gave me his checkbook, which I held up. And I'm here to bid on the car for him. And the auctioneer says, He's good for it. And he started the auction back up. I had an identity. I was John Dill's son. And I had his checkbook. It's the only time in my life I got to handle his checkbook till he died. Man, when he died, I used it. It was awesome for just a short time. The bidding started again and I went on. The auctioneer had given me permission to go on. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm not just another nameless face. I'm looking out here today and I see faces of some of you I know and some of them I don't. But you know what? Each one of you 
God knows. You are not a nameless face. I don't care if there was 20,000, 100,000 people here today. He can name you by name. He knows the hairs on your head. It's easier on some than others. That's, that's funny. That's, it's okay. He knows your hurts. He knows your fears. He knows sometimes you get scared of things. He knows sometimes that you've been hurt by things. Talking to somebody this morning, good guy, we were talking. We are talking about the fact that intimacy issues with your parents. Sometimes your parents, they do the best they can, but they fail. You know, he knows about those things. He cares. Right now, you know, it's not a, it's not a joke with him. He, he's sitting there and he's broken by that. He hurts where you hurt. He knows your thoughts. I have an identity. I am a child of God. And because of that, I matter. And when Satan comes against me, and he will surely come against me, I can use my name. I stand up to him and I say, look, I have my father's checkbook. My name is Mark Dill, and I am a child of God. And Satan has to flee when I stand up to him that way. I love that. I'm somebody. I'm somebody. You know, when I went to school, I didn't feel like somebody a lot of the times. I wasn't one of the popular kids. Some of you can relate to that. Some of you can't. I went to a big school. There was lots and lots of people. I didn't play basketball. I was too short, too slow. Couldn't play. There's a lot of other reasons, but those are the big ones. I was too short, too slow, and couldn't play. And I didn't have identity because that was big back then. But I have identity today. I'm not Pastor Mark. That's not my identity. Oh, I'm pastor of the church, big deal. I'm a child of God. That's my identity. I love that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It has the power to give me, to make me into a person who is known and loved by God. The third thing is this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power that gives my life purpose and vocation. It gives me vocation. I want to talk to you about that. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's committed it to us. See, you're put on here, you were put here on earth for a reason and a purpose. You know, a lot of us, if we're not careful, we're sitting there going, well, I don't really know why I'm here. I was talking to a guy this week, and he was telling me about how he had been going to school and going to school and doing this and doing that. And he goes, well, he goes, I got to tell you the truth. He goes, you know, I, I still am not sure what I want to be when I grow up. And the guy was my age. You know, he still didn't have his purpose down yet. Now, I get that, you know. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure anybody really has a full understanding of that, except this. You were put here on earth for a purpose. God has given us a calling, a ministry, and he's given to each one of us. And he has called us as he has reconciled the world to himself through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, he has given us the privilege, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You and I aren't here on earth just to entertain ourselves. You're not here on earth just to make money. I hope a lot of you make a lot of money and you give it to the church. We need it. So go ahead and make all you can. It's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But that's not exactly why you're here on earth. It's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. You're here on earth to be the reconciliation of God to this earth. Every one of you, no matter what you're doing with your life. If you're a banker, you're called to be a minister of reconciliation to the world. If you're a truck driver, you're called to be a, a, the minister of reconciliation to those that you come in contact with. I remember once when I had some friends that had a falling out. They'd gotten into an argument over a young lady when we were kids, and 
they had become enemies. And, and, and so I began to talk to them. They were both my friends. And I, I didn't want to take sides. And so I, I went to one and talked. And I went to the other and I talked. And, and a little at a time, we worked it out until friendship redeveloped between them. God, through Jesus Christ, has made a way back to Him. We were created to be in intimate fellowship with God. And anything less than that or other than that will leave us unsatisfied and searching. And that's where most people I meet are. They're searching and searching and searching and they're broken and they're like, what do we do? And the answer to that is, we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and He commits that ministry to you so that you can take that good news to everyone around you. That is really an awesome vocation. For God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in Christ and through Him to reconcile Himself to Himself all things. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. It's the power to create reconciliation in this war-torn world. I believe that today, guys. In this world where everybody is fighting and where wars are breaking out constantly, there's an answer and it's Jesus Christ and He's committed that ministry to us. That's why we're here. That's why Muncie First Church takes an offering. That's why we keep a building. That's why we're going to mow yard. It's not just because we got a nice little clubhouse here and we want to have people you know, use it once in a while. It's not like that. We believe that we have a message of reconciliation and we need to be taking that to this, t to this city, to the state, and to this world. The fourth thing is this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power to make me holy. Colossians 1.21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Have you ever bought a new car? I, I had not bought a new car ever. And Once, about 2002, I said, you know, it was about 2002 because it was a 2003 car. I bought it in October of 2002. I told Darcy, I said, I got to get a different car. And I want to buy a new car. I want a car that doesn't smell like somebody else's French fries. You know what I'm saying? You know, I just, I just wanted to try that out once and see what that was like. So I, I bought a new car. And uh, I went down to Newcastle and I bought it the, uh, down there. And, and it, was a, it was a Pontiac. And they don't even make Pontiacs anymore. But it, at that time, it was a Pontiac Grand Am. It was the GT. It was everything. It was bright red. It was the prettiest little car around, man. Leather seats. And it was inside the showroom. It was the one on the floor. And I said, I want that one. So they, they, they gave it to me, and I, you know, I paid them and took care of all the business with it and drove it out into the rain. Sad. Right out into the rainstorm. I mean, it couldn't even give me 10 minutes with a shiny. Drove it home. Okay, so, you know, we go shopping at Meyer, And you know what you do when you got a new car and you're shopping at Meyer, right? You park by the gas station. You know, and you're all by yourself, and so nobody can scratch your car. You don't want anybody to touch it, right? So you walk all that distance. You're getting in shape because you're parking your car out by the gas station. So that's what I would do, and I'd go in, and I mean, I would, every once in a while, look on the monitor thing. You know, you can see where your car's at. You know, they got them cameras, and I'd look to see if anybody was messing with my car. So, everything's good until one day, you know, you're like driving down the road, and a big rock flies off the dump truck that doesn't cover his load like he's supposed to, and it bounces on the road and hits your car, and now you got a big old chip in the hood of your car. And then, you know, like you park your car in the garage and, and the kids bicycle, you know, they got to go down the side of your car with their handlebars and leave a scratch down the side of your, and now it's not a new car anymore. Now you don't care. Now, next time you go to Meyer, you know, you're pulling in and there's only parking place up close is next to an old LeSabre, which you know who drives old LeSabres and you pull in next to that and you know, she's going to bang your door when she gets out. You don't care. 
Plus, it's not a new car anymore. And I'm not putting anybody down for driving the Sabres. You're, they're good. My mother-in-law drives the Sabre. Hers looks better than anybody else's car because she takes care of her cars. But the car is no, it's no longer perfect. It has scratches. It has dents. Well, you know, we were created like that car. We were created perfect. There was something about us that was made perfect. God created you to be perfect. You have no scratches, dents, or, or dings in your doors. You're perfect. And then, and then something happened. We sinned, and now we got all these problems. We're selfish, we're self-centered, we're angry, we lie, we cheat, we manipulate, we gossip. We're all banged up from what we were, from what we were intended to be. And it manifests our, it manifests itself in our lowest, our low self-esteem and low self-image. And, and it manifests itself in us trying to ignore the fact that we no longer look like the Creator. We're trying to act like we're okay. Ever notice that? Everybody's trying to act like they're okay. You know what would happen right now if we begin to tell each other the truth? If right now in this room, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would begin to move and people would begin to turn next to the person next to them and say, I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm a mess. I need Jesus. You know, revival would break out in here and it'd spread all over the world. That's how revival starts when we begin to admit who we really are. But we don't do that. We're all working on the image, you know. I, I met a guy who used to put a little paint in wax. the color of the of the car. So when he waxed his car, he'd fill in the scratches. Nobody could see that his car was actually scratched up. You know, that's what we do with our lives. We're trying to hide an image. We're trying to create an image. And we have two possible avenues we can take. We can deny what we've become and deny that we have a creator at all. Or we can turn to the creator and be reconciled back to him and let him pound out the dents. And you know what? I'm recommending the second one. See, you know, most of us are living in the first one. We're walking around going, well, it's not me. I'm not bad like that. I, it, I sure understand why you think that way because there's sure a lot of broken people out there, but I'm not one of them. And then if we're not careful when we're denying that we're broken, we deny that the Creator even exists. Well, you know, I really don't sure I believe in a God anyway. I think I'm okay because I really don't believe in a God. What we need to do is confess He is God. He is Lord. And we need to get on our knees and admit what we are, a broken, messed up people. You know what? There's a way to fix dents in your car. You take it to the body shop. You don't act like it didn't happen. You just get it fixed. Same thing in life. We need to turn to Jesus and get it fixed. When we turn to the Creator, He comes and takes care of us. He lovingly covers us by the blood that He shed on the cross for us. He forgives us. We do nothing but confess and repent. And He, by grace, receives, forgives, and makes brand new. You don't have to go out and earn it. You don't have to change and become somebody else. You confess and you repent. You turn away from sin and you turn to Him and you trust in Him. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death presents you holy. Holy here just means back to what you were meant to be. He's made you into the person that He created you to be in the first place. He puts you back wholly in His sight without blemish and free from accusations. Man, I'll tell you, I am not ashamed of the Gospel because I know it's the answer. I know it's the answer for the situations and the problems and the brokenness that you're dealing with in your life right now. The fifth one is this. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power that guarantees my eternity. I am so thankful for that. When I was five years old, 1963, I was five years old, and my grandfather was like the coolest guy that ever lived on the face of the earth. His name was 
Cyril Gray. You don't hear that name very often anymore. I'm telling you that right now. His name is Cyril. I, I, I kid you not. I guess that's an old name. I don't know. I'm going to go with it. He was about 5'10". He had snow white hair that just seemed to go whoosh. You know, just everywhere. Lots of it. He sat around the house and his wife beat her, you know, those white strap t-shirts, you know. That's what he sat around the house in after he'd get off work. And the man had tattoos down both arms. Now, that's not a big deal today. I imagine right now if we'd show our arms, we'd have more tattoos than we'd have bare arms. That's just the way it is in the world we live in. It's okay. But back then, nobody had tattoos but my grandfather. And he got his all over the world. He was a sailor and been everywhere. I have no idea the seedy places he went and got tattoos at, but he did it. He'd been in the Navy, as I said, and he picked those up. And so when I met him and when I became old enough to understand him, I thought he was the greatest. His stories, his way of doing things, I thought, man, there was no one alive that was better than him. But one day, I came home. I'd been out riding my bike, and I came home, and my mom was crying, and she said, Grandpa Gray died. He died. I don't process die because I don't understand die at that point. It didn't make sense to me. What did that mean? All I knew was is my grandfather was gone and I never, ever saw him again. And death seemed really scary to me. I went to the funeral and they put the box with his body inside of it in a hole in the ground. And I remember we all went back to his house and we ate dinner together and there was a bunch of old men like his age who were sitting around there and they all acted like it was glad that it wasn't them that was in the ground. That's all I understood. And all I really came to understand at that moment, death is horrific. It takes people away that I love. And it's inevitably coming for all of us. Every one of us, from the oldest here to the youngest, will one day pass from this earth. We will never sit exactly like we are here in this crowd again. This is just a temporary place. And life is so brief. We were just talking about that the other day. Yesterday, Darcy and I were talking. Wasn't it just the other day? that our kids were the age of our granddaughter who's running around here today when we first came here. Because of Jesus Christ, we are offered an opportunity to live with Him forever. John 14, 1-4, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, if he's taking us to be where he is, then he's taking us forever. He's guaranteeing us life with him. You know the way to the place where I'm going. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him should not perish or die, but have everlasting life. And I'm thankful that even though I know that one day I'm going to die physically on this earth, and I don't know when that will be, and I will leave this earth, I have the hope and the promise that that's not the end of it, that there is eternal life on beyond. I have hope. Jesus is waiting on me. He is with me even now. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It has the power to give me life eternally, on beyond. I believe that today. If you don't know that today, then, then you're going to be in trouble. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day when you will believe and trust in Jesus, but it may be too late. So how about you? Have you experienced the incredible hope and power of the gospel? The good news that Jesus Christ came and died and shed His blood and poured it over us to 
redeem us, to forgive us, to make us whole. Scripture teaches and life experiences bear out the truth that all of us are sinners. Every one of us here can testify to the fact that we mess up. When I ask you, are you ashamed of anything? Everybody raised your hand. The reason is because you know there are right things to do and there are wrong things to do. If there was never anything wrong, none of us would ever be ashamed. But there is a right. And there is a wrong. And we all need a Savior. Because we're broken and because the holiness of God has been offended. It has been completely offended. And we owe a debt that we cannot pay. The wages of sin is death. And, and the only way we can pay it is with our life. But then our life is over. We've paid it and it's gone. There is one who has paid it for us. There is one who gave his life for you. The only reason I'm here is to tell you that. The only reason we have Easter is to tell you that. The only reason we spend all the money to keep the building open is to tell you that. So that you can change your life. So that you can have the life that God intended you to have. So that you can have His best for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was perfect without sin. The perfect image of God took our place and died to pay the penalty for sin, which is death. But death did not hold him. They put him in a grave. They rolled a stone in front of it. They put soldiers there to make sure he couldn't get out. But he got out anyway because he's God. And his power is beyond anything we can understand or, or, or hold. Death did not hold him. He rose from the dead. And the same power that delivered Jesus Christ from the dead over 2,000 years ago will deliver me and will deliver you too if we confess, repent, and trust in Jesus. The Scripture teaches us that if we believe, if we trust Jesus in our hearts, if we confess with our mouth that we're broken and in need of Jesus, then we will be saved. It doesn't say if you will work harder. It doesn't say if you'll quit doing some things. It doesn't say if you'll do... It doesn't have any of that. It just says if you will confess that He is Lord, if you will believe, and if you will confess, and if you will repent, Turn away from that which you have been doing that you know that you're ashamed of and trust Him that you are forgiven of sin, that you will be saved. And I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to do that. I, I didn't do all this just so we could say, well, we went to Easter service, check that off. Oh, that was good. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's go eat dinner. I want you to be saved. I'm seeing broken people everywhere. I see the hurt in the world. We've got an answer. We got an answer. If you know Jesus Christ right now, you know what I'm talking about. And you're going, yeah, keep preaching it, brother. If you're sitting there right now and you're feeling that in your heart and you're going, man, it's making me feel bad, then just confess your sins. And He will be faithful and just and will forgive you from all sin. It's believe and confess. If you choose to do that this morning, I ask you to do one thing. We're going to stand and pray together here in just a minute. And I want you to do one thing. I don't want you to do anything big and embarrassing or anything like that. I just want you to grab one of them white cards that Pastor Ian will tell you about. And there in the comments section, why don't you put your name and write, not, yeah, not ashamed. Just write, not ashamed. If you have given your heart to Jesus. But put your name in there so I can contact you. I want to just sit down with you and talk to you about it. Okay? And just write, not ashamed. And I'll meet with you. I'll find you. I'll meet with you. We'll have time together. And I'll talk to you. I want us to stand together. Nathan's going to come and we're going to sing one more song together today. 
But if Christ is talking to your heart, if Jesus is leading you right now, you know what I've talked about is true, and you need to just say, hey, I need forgiveness. Just write not ashamed on that card. Get your name on it. Make sure I get it on the way out. Drop it off. Matt, raise your hand back here. Turn around a second. See Matt? Matt's the little guy standing back here. Make sure that you give Matt that card. He'll take them from you, and he'll get them to me if I don't get them from him. Okay? Not ashamed. Not ashamed. Man, right now, Lord, we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the good news. It is the good news that you came and you died and you poured your blood out to make us new again. We should just say it is the good news that, that we've been made whole, that we no longer live for ourselves, that we can love. It's the good news that, that right now we can be made holy again. We can be made like you. It is the good news that I can live forever. So, Lord, we celebrate you today. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. I praise you right now, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for death. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for hope. Lord, we're not ashamed. We declare it right now. We're not ashamed. We're excited. Jesus, come right now. Speak to hearts, Lord, right now. Conviction upon hearts, Lord, not shame. You're not a God of shame. You're a God of conviction. And when conviction comes, Lord, we want to confess. We want to tell the truth. Lord, right now, if there's one person here, if there's 10 people or 100, Lord, who are struggling, Lord, help them to give their hearts to you today and to trust in you completely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.